Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kishanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Veha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka v'finu ufi, amka b'et Yisrael, v'niye anaknu v'zaetzainu v'zaetzai amka b'et Yisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka v'lomde Torateka lishma. Baruch atah Adonai hamlamed Torah le'amo Yisrael. In Parsha Kitisa, in the Midrash Rabbah, because you got to say it like that, the Midrash Rabbah, I was busy posting on Instagram and then I just had to just stop because this little section here in 45.2 of the Midrash Rabbah, Parsha Kitisa, is absolutely ridiculous. So I'm going to go ahead and just share this. This is Parsha Kitisa. And we're in chapter 33 of Shemot. So I'm going to read the verse to you, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says, Hashem said to Moshe, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. Harsh? Okay. (laughs) Wow. Hashem said to Moshe, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If I ascend among you, I may annihilate you in an instant. And now remove your ornaments from yourself and I shall know what I shall do to you. So the children of Israel were stripped of their ornaments from Mount Horeb. Again, that's Shemot 33, 5 through 6. If you think about the opportunities of or not the opportunities, the occurrences were Search Jews were stripped of their garments. Let's run the gamut, shall we? Yosef was stripped of his garments when he went to his brothers. Whoa, I went way, way to the top of the list there. Let's go back to the garden. Uh, We were stripped of our garments by a little serpent who uh, was apparently the king of the animal kingdom, even above the lion, which is really, really crazy. But yeah, there's a whole crazy drop on that. Uh, I think it's Midrash Rabbah and Pirkei de Revieli Azer. Oh, and the Talmud with the teachings, or the the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud in that uh, section of Genesis chapter 3 goes into this. So the serpent basically wanted to usurp uh, Adam and take Hava as his wife. Because he used to walk upright like people do. And furthermore, he ruled over the animal kingdom. But the the kingdom of man, which is represented by speech, uh, was on a higher plane. And he wanted to take that one, too. Sounds very familiar because Hasatan tried to take the throne of Hashem. So we see what happened with that. He was cast down. So he tried to take Adam. He was also cast down. He lost his legs. We, however, when we sin, we give him his legs back. So that's a problem. So we need to quit doing that. So, Bezrat Hashem, help us Hashem. All right, so Mount Horeb, it's important to know that that is Mount Sinai. Horeb uh, is the same words as Cherev, which is the word for sword. And when you look at the sword, that's the sword that is the flaming sword that guards the way to the tree of life. So literally, why was the mountain on fire? Why was it raised up in the air? Because that is the flaming sword that guarded the way to the tree of life. Then what came from this mountain? The tree of life, the Torah. 
So, in order to get to the tour, you have to go through Mount Sinai, and now you have to go through Mount Zion, which is Mashiach, who is the great mountain. So, looking at all of this information, back to the people who got stripped, uh, Adam got stripped of his garments, which was his immortality, which is why he said, oh my goodness, we're naked, we gotta go hide. Then, who else was stripped of his garments? We have Yosef. He had the same garments that were given to Adam and Hava, and he was stripped of that and thrown into a pit. Who else was stripped of their garments? Well, it was also, um, we got the children of Israel right here were stripped of his garments. Uh, when we sinned with the golden calf, uh, we basically did the same thing that Adam and Hava did when they, when we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So it is with them. So it was with the golden calf incident. The next time somebody got stripped of their garments, uh, there's probably a lot more occurrences, but I'm going to go all the way to Mashiach Yeshua on the crucifixion stake. It's interesting that he had a one piece garment, which was the garment that they uh, gambled over as he was uh, going through the crucifixion episode. So that is likened to the priestly garment that is the one piece that's uh, over the the trousers, the holy trousers uh, of the Cohen. So he wears this one long robe and it, it's all, it goes all the way to his wrist, all the way down to his ankles. So it's one long piece. So that was stripped off of him too. Uh, yeah. Well, the other one that I'm thinking about in my head, I'm going to go ahead and mention it, even though it wasn't technically a stripping, but it, it was just as far as principle is Aharon. When he passed away, uh, when he was gathered to his people on Mount, I believe it's Mount Hor. Um, but I have to, I know that's in Bami Bar, but he had to go up to the top of the mountain and there was a cave where there was a bed already made and a little lamp. There was a candle burning there for him to be laid. And so he was wearing the priestly garments and they took them off and put them on Eleazar, his son, who succeeded him as being the high priest for the rest of the duration of the wilderness and into the promised land. So Eleazar as he was getting dressed in the priestly garments, what would happen is they actually removed Aharon's garments one by one, and underneath them, he was wearing garments of light to make him ready for the resurrection. So uh, that was brought down in the Midrash. Um, so just so you know, uh, the stripping of the garments, how that happened, and the significance of it, is all having to do with a, a lowering of status and uh, basically taking off the uh, temporal and things like that. So in the case of Aharon, he took off the temporal for the sake of the immortal. But in all these other cases, we were taking off our protective garments of immortality for the sake of the temporal. So in other words, we crossed away from eternal life back into death. Hence why being clothed in Messiah Yeshua would be now returning back to life, crossing over from death. 
So putting our clothes back on. Shaul literally uh, vocalizes it by saying, take off the old and put on the new. Just like you would say for garments, take those old clothes off and put on some new clothes. Kind of like the prodigal son was told, you know, the father said, come on, put new clothes on him. Cut up the fatted calf. Let's do this. He's back. My son who was dead is now alive. So in the Midrash Rabbah 45 two, it says, commenting on the whole stripping of the garments and the ornaments. It says, what is written above? So the children of Israel were stripped of their ornaments from Mount Horev. Then it says in the footnote, the Midrash in uh, 51.8 below says that it explains that at Mount Sinai, when the Jewish people accepted the Torah, God clothed them with the splendor of his glory. The Midrash then asks, and what was the clothing? And cites a dispute identical to that which our Midrash will cite below. You know, I'm going to have to go there. So uh, we'll stand by on that. It says the Midrash there subsequently states that this is what our passage is speaking of when it states that they were stripped of their ornaments. Okay, so they were stripped of the splendor of God's glory. It says Rabbi Hanin of Zipporin said this refers to a crown that God placed upon their heads, you know, like the helmet of salvation. Think about that passage in the letter to Ephesus as we're reading this. Because, you know, the garments that Shaul Hashliach was really mentioning, mentioning and referencing in that letter was not a Roman centurion. It was actually the priestly garments and probably a throwback to this Midrash about the garments we were originally clothed in. You know, the belt of truth and the, the sandals of the gospel of peace, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, you know, kind of stuff. So anyway because <clears throat> now we have the crown, okay, and it says, as it is stated, and I placed a ring in your nose and a crown of beauty on your head, Yehezekiel 16.12. Rabbi Shimeon ben Yochai, come on, the writer of the Zohar, says it refers to a weapon, like the sword of truth. Shield of faith kind of thing. It says that sword of the spirit, even weapon that the Holy One, blessed be he, gave them upon which the ineffable name, the divine name, the four letters of the Yod and Hay and the Vav and Hay were engraved. It says this weapon protected them from the angel of death below in 518. I know 518, you about to get hit up. All right. Since the previous verse, Shemot 33 5 states, Hashem said to Moshe, says to the children of Israel, dot, dot, dot. And now remove your ornaments from yourself and I shall know what I shall do with you, do to you. The implication is that while the ornaments were up on them, God would not do anything to them. This proves that the ornaments were things that would make them invincible to any form of suffering. Be'ur Meharif Maharzu and Eitz Yosef to, you guessed it, 51.8 below. This is ridiculous. Okay, so it says that Rabbi Huna says it refers to belts, 
with which God girded them. Rabbi Simlai said it refers to royal garments. As it is stated, I decked you with ornaments. And it also states, you, He-Emarta, Hashem today, and Hashem He-Emircha today. Footnote. The Midrash understands that this verse is as referring to the day of the giving of the Torah. The Midrash is interpreting the words Marta, plainly translated as you have distinguished, and Mirka, plainly as has distinguished you. So if we reread that, it says that you have distinguished Hashem today and Hashem has distinguished you today. Devarim 26, 17 through 18. So then it says, as similar to the Aramaic word, Amra, which refers to a unique royal garment, who states that the plain meaning of Heemarta is from the same root for royal garments are thus called because they are distinguished and unique. Think about the Kohen Haggadol. He definitely looked like the king of Israel as far as the status of distinction that the garments gave. So you got the king and the priests who wear very, very distinctive garments and they wear crowns and robes. And so there's there's that. But uh, yeah, in Hulin uh, 92... I was taking some screenshots of that. See if I can pull that up here. Because I was just kind of blown away by some of the stuff that they were talking about in there with the king. And see here, Hulin 92A, because it's talking about the grapevine. And I made this little drive-by about the, the vine is Israel. And so that's totally in here. Um, Yeah, here it is. It says, Rabban Gamliel, the person who taught Shaul Hashliach. It says, in order, he said, in order to understand this verse, Genesis 40, verse 10, we still need to, we still need the explanation of Rabbi Eliezer HaModai, who is an expert in matters of Agatha. As he interprets all the phrases in the verse as referring to one location. Rabbi Eliezer Hamodai says, Vine, this is a reference to Yerushalayim. Three branches, this is a reference to the temple, the king, and the high priest. So, uh, yeah, the branches of the vine is the temple, the king, and the high priest, which are considered one place. But anyway, we digress, don't we? Okay, so... Royal garments, and then it says the Jewish people, so to speak, dressed God in royal garments with their praises. You talk about clothing Hashem, and then Mita connected Mita, he clothes us. Because, you know, measure for measure, Hashem's like, oh, you're going to put clothes on me? I put clothes on you. So, so there's that. It says, and God dressed the Jewish people in royal garments called poor. Puperiot. That's what they're called. Puperiot. Garments of distinction. So right out of that, it goes down into the next session, next section, 
that says, at the time, Moshe became angry at the Jewish people and took his tent and went away as it is stated Moshe would take the tent and pitch it outside the camp far from the camp and call it the tent of meeting. So it was that whoever sought Hashem would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Shemot 33, 7. Now this is amazing because the outer this world, this out, this out of this world status that existed now inside the camp was taken away because all the light went out. The light went out inside the camp. So Moshe took the light outside the camp. This is very, very crucial because today the light of Hashem exists outside the camp. Hashem himself has pitched his tent outside the camp. Yes, I'm talking about the gates of Rome. Yes, I'm talking about in the four corners of the world, which is where we're supposed to be gathering all the LED light bulbs. Because, you know, we all have to be led by the spirit and stuff. Anyway, that was a stretch, but hopefully it was enlightening because it's all light puns. But anyway, so we go outside the camp, right? And that's where Mashiach was offered outside the camp. And we are gathering in the converts and then Hashem is going to bring everybody back to inside the camp. Because what happened after this whole ordeal of the forgiveness of sins and the annihilation that was upon us, we received the renewed covenant, the second set of tablets. The glory of Hashem was on Moshe's face, which was the glory that we were stripped of that was all on Moshe's face hence why they said put a veil on your face Moshe we can't handle it you you are like all of our light combined into one face and furthermore you have the renewed tablets and you know now we got to build the Mishkan so it wasn't until after you know the the Adar and going into the inauguration week and the Nisan of the following year. So we're looking at the month of Tammuz all the way to Nisan. Moshe had the tent outside the camp. This tent was called the tent of Moshe. It was also called the tent of meeting. And this is where I'm going to continue with the Midrash because listen, y'all, this is ridiculous. The, the Mishkan was basically Moshe's tent until the Mishkan was built by Moshe back inside the camp right before the onset of Nisan. So you have this like intermediate time period that actually lines up with the fall feast schedule going into the spring schedule when the Mishkan would come back to inside the camp and everything would be completely reconciled. Is there any wonder why Mashiach made the complete reconciliation during Pesach, the spring festival? So all throughout the winter, all throughout the fall and the winter, you know, you got Rosh Hashanah, you got Sukkot, you got all that going on. And the tent of Moshe is outside the camp. Literally a distance, the way that, the Mishkan was distanced from 
the encampments that surrounded it because there was a space between the camps and the Mishkan. So much so was the space from Moshe's tent to the outside of the camp to going into the camp. So it, it just basically changed positions, but kept the same spatial distance pattern, except it was outside the camp, if that makes any sense. So I believe it's about 2,000 cubits or something like that of space. So you would see the Mishkan in the center of the camp, go 2,000 cubits of empty space, and then you'd have the first encampments of the tribes around the Mishkan, and then you'd have the clouds of glory, and then outside the camp had all the things that were going on out there. So think about outside the camp and go another 2,000 cubits. Now think about the tent of Moshe. So that's basically what we're looking at as far as a picture. So hopefully you can visualize that. So while that is going on, it says Rabbi Yehuda bar Rebbe said, see the honor that Hakadosh Baruchu apportioned to Moshe, that he left the upper spears and came to Moshe, i.e., the place to which the celestial beings would come in order to appear before the throne of glory was moved to Moshe's tent, where he taught Torah. It's ridiculous. Hashem brought Shemaim into the tent of Moshe, which was outside the camp. People freak out today about wanting to convert and make Aliyah to Yerushalayim. And I literally have a, a, one of our uh, travelers who came into town this past Shabbat for Shabbat Sakor. Come on. He was telling me people are leaving Israel to seek enlightenment. That spoke so many volumes to me. I'm like, how are you going to say you're in Yerushalayim and yet you need to go to places like India or whatnot because you're trying to seek truth and spirituality? I mean, I'm just saying, it, it just sounds like the light is, is like out. You know, like what's going on in Yerushalayim right now? What's going on in Tel Aviv right now? So just think about that because, you know, again, when we get called illegitimate Jews and that, you know, oh, you can't make Aliyah and, oh man, I, I wish I could go to Israel, but I can't right now. And to, and to be upset about that, just think about it for a second, because in this intermediary period, the tent that's called the tent of meeting, like the Mishkan, the tent of Moshe is outside the camp. Mashiach right now is outside the camp. If we're supposed to be with Mashiach and Bezrat Hashem we are, we should be okay with being outside the camp because we have to be here for a certain amount of time because we have to gather in divine sparks. We have to give every person the opportunity to come into the renewal of the covenant so that we can all return back to the garden, which will happen with the final redemption. So, you know, how are we living? What kind of examples are we showing? What are we talking about in our everyday conversation? How are we driving? How are we shopping at the grocery store? What kind of events are we attending? What kind of events are we not attending? What kind of music are we listening to? What kind of food are we eating? 
like all these things, Hashem has given us this cluster of evangelistic points to help with people perking up eyebrows and going, I need to ask you a question about that. And because you just simply answer their question, you don't tell them, fall on your face before a holy God and repent of your sins or you will perish and burn in Gehenna forever. No, you just share with them. You know, I'm eating uh, what's called kosher meat because they're like, yeah, because you I thought you were a vegetarian because you never eat the meat that we serve. And it's like, well, yeah, the meat you serve is not kosher. And they're like, okay, so what's kosher? Then you start telling them, you know, Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. Those two chapters give us all the stuff about kosher. So basically you break it down. You know, if you're eating something on the land or eating something from the water, here's what the signs are. You know, two signs, two Mashiachs, you know, because split hoof, chew the cud if it's on land, uh, fins and scales if it's in the water. You know, so you just, you know, little things like that. You can just start throwing some chops and uh, elbow drops and and uh, drop kicks and whatnot. You know, just, just throw a few things in there. And because you do those things, you gather into divine sparks because you're sharing literally Torah with them. And it's like, but I didn't pull out a verse or anything. It's like, yeah, but what does the verse talk about that you there's a certain type of food that we eat? You don't need to pull out a Torah scroll or anything or a humash. Just share with them about the, the hectares. I mean, you've done written and oral Torah all at once right there. And you're just having a normal conversation. I mean, and so at that point, you know, Hashem stirs their heart because these words that go out, guess what? They do not return void. The word of Hashem goes out and it fulfills the purpose for which it was sent. Come on, y'all. Like, this is ridiculous. All right. So this is the opportunity we have while everything is outside the camp. So light it up. Avenge the world. All right. So in the words of Shomerman, I would like to say, if we can't save the world, then you can make sure we will avenge it. All right. So now that that's out the way, back to the Midrash. Moshe, okay, has his tent outside the camp. It says, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Rebbe said, See the honor Hakadosh Baruchu apportioned to Moshe that he left the upper spears and came to Moshe. Uh, everything came to Moshe's tent, and this is where the Torah was taught. I just, I just love the fact that the most Torah that's being produced right now is literally coming from outside the land of Israel. I'm just saying, like that's ridiculous. But anyway, just like it did in Moshe's tent, it came from outside the camp. The most Torah that Israel received came from outside the camp, and that's where Hashem was. That's where Shemayim was outside the camp. Goodness. Okay. When the ministering angels would come to say hymns before God, what is that word they use here? Himnon. Lomar Himnon. Okay, so that's uh, Aramaic on me. They went Aramaic on me. Why they do that to me, man? Uh, Himnon. Okay. Anyway, I was trying to see what the word for hymns were. But, uh, you know, whenever you hear that, uh, let's turn in the hymnal and sing this song. It's like, oh, that's a Jewish thing. Because Jews have hymns, 
One of the biggest section of hymns is Tehillim 113 through 118, by the way. It's called the Hallel. So the angels have hymns as well. Continuing on. I think this is the last page and then we're going to go to 51. Nope. Nope. We got a whole lot more here. This is. Oh, my gosh. He would be located at the tent of Moshe. Who is the he? Hashem. The sun, the moon and the stars too would come to bow before God and to obtain permission to go out and illuminate the world. It's like the sun and the moon and the stars cannot go out into the heavenlies of the sky to do their thing unless they ask permission. Otherwise, they stayed stuck in Moshe's tent. Wow. <laughs> okay. That was uncalled for. For they would not obtain permission and bow, or for if they would not obtain permission and bow, they would not be allowed to go out, as it is stated in the heavenly legions, bows to you. Ne Nehemiah 9.6, Nehemiah 9.6. And they would ask the coyote, where is the throne of glory? They will reply to them, go to Moshe, i.e. it is in his tent. Okay, the very place from which the sapphire tablets are carved, the very place where Memtet sits, the very place that is the body of Mashiach, was in the tent of Moshe. Okay, now that we've established that, from where do we know this is so? For it is stated further in the verse, so it was that when anyone who sought Hashem would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. It is not written here who sought Moshe, but rather who sought Hashem. It says in the footnotes, first of all, the living beings, which is the Chayot. If you want to say that in the singular, it's Chaya. And then it says, these are the angels who bear the heavenly chariot, which is known as the throne of glory. Rosh Shosh explains that since it is the Chayot that carried the throne of glory, they asked the Chayot where the throne was currently. Goodness gracious. All right. So uh, it also says that anyone and the word anyone is meant to include the ministering angels. So they had to go to the tent of Moshe to find out where Shem was. First of all, how's Hashem going to fit in the tent of Moshe? I'm just saying, like, Moshe's tent. And by the way, this is the place Yehoshua, literally Yeshua, Ben Nun, he never left that tent. So just think about that for a second. Yeshua is intricately connected to the place where Hashem resides, where all the heavens and the stars and the throne and all that resides. And that's called the tent of Moshe. So to have a Mashiach who would be divorced of Moshe is just really, really weird, which is why people don't really believe in that. But people do believe in Yeshua because he's not divorced from Moshe. So it says what is written there, Hashem would speak to Moshe face to face. That's uh, 3311. <laughs> I'm like, do I really want to read this footnote? But I have to. I brought myself into this and I have to do it. Okay. 
simply understood this verse describes Moshe's level of prophecy. However, since Moshe's level of prophecy is described elsewhere in Bamibar 12.8, because that's where Moshe speaks to his image. And scripture does not use the expression face to face in any reference to any other of Moshe's prophecies. The Midrash understands that these words are describing a specific prophecy that Moshe received at this time. The expression countenance is used in reference to anger as in Lamentations 4.16 and in reference to appeasement as in Bamibar 6.25-26. Midrash understands that God told Moshe we have a stipulation to be face to face, i.e., one countenance will appear will appease the other. This is further borne out by the words, as a man would speak with his fellow, i.e., as a man appeases his friend. As will be explained at the end of this section, the next words of the verse, Veshav el Hamachane, translated. Then he would return to the camp are instead understood as a command from God to return to the camp. So this is really cool. All right. Hold on. The congregation of Israel compares the seemingly endlessness of the present exile with the relative briefness of the previous exiles. So what's really cool about this is we will return to the camp. We don't have to worry about being outside the camp forever. So just know that, believe that, trust that right now we got work to do and then Mashiach comes back and then we get gathered in. So that's why we say who gathers in to disperse of his people, Israel. It says the tent outside our scriptural. This is from the insights. Our scriptural passage relates that Moshe relocated his tent outside the camp. And that all who saw God would go out to the tent. Goodness. Oh, it's ridiculous. You got to go outside the camp to seek Hashem. Come on, man. It relates as well that God would speak to Moshe in the tent, whereupon Moshe would return to the camp. So he went from outside the camp to inside the camp to give the message. Wow. Explains. Rashi explains that the purpose of Moshe's return to the camp was to teach the people that which God taught him in the tent. <laughs> Rashi goes on to explain that all this could have transpired only from Yom Kippur when Moshe brought down the second tablets until the tabernacle was erected. Yes, that is that Nisan time frame. For he shattered the first tablets during the incident of the golden calf on the 17th of Tammuz, 40 days after Shavuot. On the 18th, he burned the golden calf and administered justice to those who had worshipped it. And on the morrow, he went up the mountain to pray for forgiveness and was there for 40 days until Rosh Hodesh Elul. On that day, he was told to ascend again to receive the second tablets, which he brought down 40 days later on Yom Kippur. There was thus no time for the events described in our passage to occur until after Yom Kippur. So after Yom Kippur, when it was time to get ready for Sukkot, Moshe was like, my Sukkah is outside the camp. Come on, man. Ibn Ezra too writes that this passage relates what occurred after Yom Kippur. 
He adds that we must explain the placement of this passage at this point in the Torah according to the principle of the Torah's narrative does not necessarily follow chronological order. So if you're one of those linear people, Torah is going to change your mind frame because the Torah is not written in chronological order. So you should know that. That's why lots of things happen in Shemot that happen in uh, Vayikra and Bamibar and Devarim for that fact. So just just so you're aware how broken up the things are. So anyway, um, goes on to say Rambam. Ramban, sleek eye with a noon, finds difficulty with this explanation, especially in the light of the statement of our Midrash and of Rashi himself later that God commanded Moshe to return to the camp so that both he and Moshe should not be in a state of anger at the people of Israel. This could not have been after Yom Kippur for God had forgiven them and was no longer angry with them. Furthermore, the Midrash Further, also cited by Rashi, states Moshe removed his tent because the people of Israel were excommunicated to God. So they were excommunicated to his student Moshe as well. So if they divorced from God, they were also divorced from Moshe. Hmm. Sounds really familiar to Mashiach about if you accept him, you accept Hashem. If you accept Hashem, you accept him. So the people did not accept him. So what does that mean? Okay, after Yom Kippur, however, they were excommunicated neither to God nor to Moshe. So they have nobody. Ramban, therefore, maintains that our scriptural passage is indeed placed according to the precise chronological sequence. So don't you just love how it's like, well, Rashi says this, Ramban says this, and who else we got? Other Midrash uh, drops up in here. Um... Ebenezer, there we go. So if you ever find yourself in a point of, well, who's right? Well, the answer is yes. So don't ever uh, get too thrown off because this also happens in Halakha. And it's like, well, the Halakha is da-da-da-da-da. And it's like the Halakha goes with da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, okay, so we should be doing it like this. So the thing I would tell you on that, ask your rabbi. If you don't have a rabbi, you should get one. There's a, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Rabbi Griffin with Lapid Judaism. You should probably uh, look him up and, you know, he's pretty legit. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, you're going to have a hard time navigating halakha and commentary if you don't have a rabbi who can help you and all that kind of stuff. And furthermore, he has a Beit Dean with him, so he's not the only one. So there's that. Anyway, shameless plug. Well, not really shameless, but a plug nonetheless. All right, so that's uh, mysarshalom.com. Get you some. All right. Ramban, therefore, maintains scriptural passage is in chronological sequence. The verse relates that immediately after the sin of the golden calf, i.e. on the 18th of Tammuz, Moshe took his tent and placed it outside the camp. The passage goes on to say that he did so so that all that sought so that all who sought God would go out to the tent for this purpose not that they actually did so at this point 
For in fact, Moshe ascended the mountain once again, almost immediately. And what is related in the balance of the passage would not occur until Moshe came down for the final time on Yom Kippur. So, so according to Ramban, the tent is outside the camp immediately after the demise of the golden calf. And then Moshe goes up the mountain and the tent is still outside the camp. And then he comes back and goes back up with the second set of tablets and then comes back down. The tent is outside the camp for this whole entire duration. So add on. Yeah, so basically time moves to Nissan, tents outside the camp. All right, so another opinion. Oh, here we go. Cited in part by Ramban and uh, who rejects it. See below uh, is that of Pirkei de Revi Eliezer. So he's just like, you know what, Ramban, actually, let's move aside. According to which Moshe spent 40 days up on the mountain only twice, not three times. Oh, man, he just kicked the whole door down. It's like he didn't make three ascensions. He only made two. He gives his explanation. The first 40 days ended on the 17th of Tammuz. Second 40 days commenced on Rosh Hodesh Elul ended on Yom Kippur. So he just takes out the middle. So there was no 40 days from Tammuz to Elul basically what he's saying so hence our passage relates that what transpired during the period between the 17th of tammuz and rosh hodesh elul and subsequently between yom kippur and the erection of the tabernacle however ramban rejects this approach because it does not accord with that which states in devarim 9 18 and verse 25 that moshe spent the middle 40 days praying for forgiveness neither eating nor drinking presumably because he was atop the mountain but if you put all the dots together all of what was on top of the mountain was inside the tent so was he on top of the mountain or was he inside the tent of moshe answer is yes so did he spend 40 days outside the camp or 40 days on top of the mountain yes so they do all that um yeah so that's why i'm going to end with that because it gets really really lots of stuff going on all right we're going to jump all the way oh finish this section here what is written further hashem would speak to moshe face to face the holy one blessed as he said to moshe did i not stipulate with you that when your countenance will express anger my appeasing countenance will appease your angry countenance so like a back and forth like balance out mercy and judgment thing it says and when my countenance will express anger your appeasing countenance will appease my angry countenance Return and enter the camp. As it is stated, Hashem would speak to Moshe face to face as a man would speak with his fellow. Then he would return to the camp. 51.8. Goodness gracious. Is it in here? Please tell me. Okay, it is. All right. Hashem. 51.8. Oh, man. This is outrageous. Parshaki Tisa. I told you it's where it's at. Mm. All right. There are a lot of pages. Let's see what we do. Here we go. Focusing on the word Ele, which is the word these. Another interpretation. These are the reckonings of the tabernacle. We're now back in over in Parshapikude. So newsflash, we're in a different Torah portion. <laughs> Happens to be the Torah portion of Stav Soldat. So shouts out to my Benny. 
Okay, it says, what is the reason the passage begins with the word ele? These. The Midrash discusses a wondrous gift that Israel merited when they accepted the Torah. When the Holy One, blessed as he, gave the Torah to Israel, they were not susceptible to the angel of death having dominion over them. For it says the tablets were God's handiwork and the script was the script of God engraved, which is Harut, on the tablets above. Devarim, or Shemot 32.16 What is scripture teaching by using the word Harut? Rabbi Yehuda says accepting the Torah merited the nation freedom from exiles. And Rabbi Nehemia says it merited freedom from from the angel of death. If you're thinking Galatians 5, congratulations, because that's for freedom. Mashiach has set us free because that's the letters on the Torah. Come on. All right. Says further, Rabbi Pinchas Ben-Chama said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, who said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer, son of Yose, Rabbi Yose HaGilili, the Holy One, blessed as he said, if the angel of death were to come and say to me, why was I created? I would say to him, I have created you to be a ruler over the nations of the world, but not over my children. So many people don't want to be Jews and stuff. Just want to let you know, just take note of this conversation right now. For once they accepted the Torah, the Holy One, blessed be he, clothed them with the splendor of his glory. And what was that clothing? There are four views. Goodness. One for each letter of Hashem's name. All right. Rabbi Yochanan says he clothed them with crowns. Rabbi Shimeon ben Yochai, writer of the Zohar, says he gave them a weapon. And the great name of God was engraved up on it. Is there a Hebrew for that? Was engraved upon it. Mm -mm. Nope, don't see it. All right, well, that's cool. Oh, Chakuk. Yeah, engraved, like the word Chok, like a decree statute. Uh, typically used for the commandments that we have no uh, rationalization or reason for doing it. That's the word for engrave, like Bechukotai, which is one of the parashas of the book of Baikra. So if you think about the name of Hashem being in the statutes, which are the beyond our human reason, that's part of what the engraving process is. All right. Anyway, so if you're thinking about like eating kosher and why do we do certain mitzvot that just don't seem to make any sense, just know that's the engraving of the name of God. So congratulations says, in all the days that this weapon was in their hands, the angel of death was unable to have dominion over them. It says, the weapon mentioned by Rabbi Shemion by Yochai was not something special, but, come on, sword of the spirit. Remember that from Shaul? Here's what it says, but rather a spiritual aura that came up on the Jewish people at Mount Sinai due to the heightened spiritual level they achieved at that time. I think about Dr. Strange at this point where he has those little things that come out of his hands. It's like the little energy forms or whatever. That's like the sword of the spirit. It's like that, that spiritual energy that you're channeling. And so, you know, like Dr. Strange or like, uh, 
who else has this stuff? Psylocke, one of the X-Men characters. Um, Scarlet Witch, she does her little thing with the hand stuff. So yeah, anyway, just so you know, that came from the Bible. So the sword of the spirit, huh? Spiritual energy that comes upon us as we do the word of God. Hmm. Wow. Who's the Dr. Sakal now? Shouts out to Dr. Sakal. Anyway, I'm going to sidetrack because I have to share this. I think one of the most ridiculous things I've heard all day, deleted scenes on the Avengers Blu-ray stuff. There is a scene that uh, was sketched out where Dr. Strange wears the Iron Man suit and Iron Man wears Dr. Strange's uh, cloak. And they both fight Ebony Ma, the bad guy. Uh, and Dr. Strange is in the Iron Man suit the whole time. And then Iron Man is in the the, the cloak. And they're like battling against Ebony Ma. So I'm like, wait a minute. Wait, what? So, yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was really crazy. Because, you know, Dr. Sakal and I are pretty close like that. So uh, I just thought that was interesting that that's literally in the comics. So... Ish Shomer and Dr. Sakal teaming up with magical forces known as the Sword of the Spirit. Anyway, back to our scheduled broadcast. <laughs> and from where do you learn that this is so? From that which is written, and now remove your ornaments from yourself, and I shall know what I shall do to you, Shemot 33.5. Rabbi Sisa said he clothed them with a royal purple robe. Really? I got to read the footnote. Says that as long as they were wearing their ornaments with which they had been clothed by God, they were protected from all harm. It's a super suit. Where is my super suit? You must make Teshuvah and you can get it back. Okay. Uh, it says, I'm just, wow. As explained by Yefe Tawar, all four opinions cited here agree that whatever the identity of the article of clothing God gave Yisrael at Sinai, that article of clothing gave them freedom from the angel of death. However, it was Rabbi Shimon ben Yokai, writer of the Zohar, who made the particular statement and exposition cited here. A robe is a type of garment. The robe with which Israel was cloaked would protect them from harm the way a garment protects from heat and cold. Impervious to the elements. Wow. And it's interesting that Mashiach had a purple robe that was taken off of him. So not to say anything else to that, but to say a lot about that to insinuate, imply and refer. When you think about being clothed in Mashiach now, just think about this. We're getting the garments back. And the thing is, is that these things were able to be like tangibly seen and felt and everything. But now we have to go beyond what we can tangibly feel and see. So just think about that when uh, we're being devoted to God, walking by faith and not by sight, really taking it to the highest level right now. <laughs> we cannot see what we're clothed in. But you best believe in the spiritual realm, we got we got armor, which is why being a Avenger, I think, is really amazing because you're literally clothed in those characters. 
and the physical characters that we watch on the the movies or in the comics, those are just a a picture to kind of give you an idea. But it's way beyond that. So this is why characters who've died in the films and who the actors change and all that kind of stuff, that's just surface stuff. But literally, it's deeper than that. It's the essence of the name that you're given, you know, so hence the Sheen, the Mem, the Raish for Shomer. So what is Shomer guarding all that kind of stuff? And, you know, you got to have rockets and all sorts of suits for that. So anyway, one of the other things it says, too, about these uh these garments and this weapon here this sword of the spirit action it says what was israel's clothing it stated that god clothed israel with the splendor of his glory which obviously is something special see however eshed ha nechalim relating to this to two freedoms mentioned by rabbi yehuda and rabbi nehemia above al sheik writes that the weapon counteracts the foreign kingdoms who would wish to subjugate Israel while the ineffable name of God counteracts the angel of death. So basically keeping us alive and keeping us out of exile. So we're in exile currently and Bezrat Hashem will end soon. So that means everybody needs to suit up. Option number four. Rabbi Hunya says he clothed them with belts, you know, like the belt of truth. A belt represents strength. Israel's belts would thus protect them from harm. It says, but when they sinned and made the golden calf, the Holy One blessed as he removed all that good from them. For it says, so the children of Israel were stripped of their ornaments from Mount Horeb. Shemot uh, 33.6. All right, we'll finish it up with this. This mountain on which the Torah was given is called by three names. The mountain of God, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai. Why is this mountain called the mountain of God? Because it is where it is there that the Holy One blessed be. He made his godliness known when he gave the Torah to Israel. There's a verse that says it's a form of godliness, but denies its power. That's why it's important to know that the godliness is revealed through the Torah. The power of the Torah is revealed in the doing. So blessed not only are the hearers of the Torah, but the doers of the Torah. So don't just have the form of godliness and deny its power. Don't just have the Torah in your Bible and not read it and study it and learn it and do it. Because that's what that would be. Going on, it says, why is this mountain called Sinai? Because it is there that God showed that he hated, which is the word Sana, those above, i.e. the ministering angels and love those below, i.e. mortal man. Goodness gracious. That is a statement right there. The word hated is not meant literally. Oh, wow. Because remember Yeshua said, unless you hate your mother and your father, you're not worthy of me. He's like, he's saying the same thing. And Shem was like, no, don't think of it like hate like that. I, I literally love the children of Israel. So it looks like I hate the ministering angels compared to Israel. And then we're supposed, it's supposed to look like we hate our family because we love Mashiach so much. Hashem did it. I'm sure we can do it. 
Is not his spirit alive and active in us? Bezrat Hashem it is. Wow, this is ridiculous. Rather, that the Midrash is referring to the fact that God offended the angels in giving the Torah to Israel. That's why the whole knockdown, drag out fight had to go on between Moshe and the angels. And literally the way that Moshe fought with the angels was through what's called Teshuvah. Because he had to Teshuvah the answer to them. The, the word for answering their questions was the word Teshuvah. So Teshuvah is literally how you fight. And it says, when Moshe ascended to Shemayim to take the Torah, the angels protested, arguing that the Torah would bring more glory to God if it remains in the celestial spheres. God instructed Moshe to counter, i.e. Teshuvah, their claim. And Moshe did so, enumerating before the heavenly court many commandments that are relevant only to man and not to angels. So that's the thing there. And then it says, why is this mountain called Mount Horeb? Because it was here that God gave the Torah that is called Cherev, a sword. For it says, the lofty praises of God are in their throats and a double-edged cherub is in their hand. Tehillim 149.6 May it be soon in our days that we experience the final redemption. May we see Mashiach Yeshua return. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring us out of exile, gathering the fullness of the Gentiles from the four corners of the earth. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokhenu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah.